It is a pleasure to be with you today. Um, and in some ways, it's a very unlikely thing that I am with you today. Um, 52 years ago, I was a teenager who was lost. And as Ephesians would say, I was in the hope, uh, I was in the world without hope and without a savior. And 52 years ago, the Lord saved me and brought me to faith in Christ, just like he's done with so many of you, and maybe soon will do with some others of you. He had mercy upon me. So to think that I get to speak to you today, that I get to be in a Christian church, that I get to speak from the word of God, is really quite a miracle to me, because I didn't begin there. God brought me here. So I know we've just prayed, but I would like to pray again and just ask God to speak to us, speak through me and beyond me into your hearts today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time we have together. We thank you for your holy word. We pray, Father, that you would guide us as we speak, that you would take these words and penetrate our hearts and minds with them. We can read the word. They can hear me speak. But God, only you can penetrate hearts and minds. And so we pray, Father, that you would do that. And all for your glory and honor. And we pray this in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. So we're going to be talking today about a picture of a successful life. What does a successful life look like? And as I was thinking about this, I was thinking about my dear friend, John. And John couldn't be with us today, but... I could just have brought John because in my mind, John is a great picture of a successful life. But what occurred to me is if, if John had come and if we'd been up here and I was maybe doing a Q&A with John, kind of telling, asking him questions about how did you come to this life, I think a lot of you, maybe all of you would be confused because you would probably be thinking, that doesn't seem so successful to me. And yeah, I'm, I'm glad you and John are buds, but, uh, you know, he's just another guy. And I think it's that very thing that we want to talk about today. Why is it that success is so important to us and yet so many times haunts us? so many times evades us. We just don't know what to do with it. So at the end of today's talk, I'm going to tell you a little bit more about John, and you're going to see why I think he's a success. I think that at every stage of life, from youth to retirement, we strive to understand success, what it means and how we attain it. It haunts us at times. Am I succeeding or am I failing? What does this person think about my success? Compared to the guys I grew up with, are the people that I went to college with, are those that I started my career with, am I succeeding compared to them? Part of the haunting of midlife for those of you who are around 40, is, is this going to be all there is? Will I not have more than this? 
It's interesting, success sounds so positive, and yet it has such a dark pull in our hearts. And how about at my age, you know, when there's not that many more shopping days before Christmas, you know? When you're my age, what does success look like? It may be weird for you to hear, but I think about this a lot. I think about, you know, has my life been a success? And then sometimes I think, is there some chance for like a last minute success miracle? So like right before I go on to glory, I'm going to hit oil somewhere and I'm going to then be a success. And to tell you how sick my heart is, sometimes I think, well, maybe after I die, there'll be some group of people that will realize what a success I was. It haunts us. We're going to look today at a snapshot of the life of Joseph in the Old Testament, who is one of my favorite people in the whole Bible. I think the story of Joseph is absolutely one of the greatest stories ever told, one of the greatest stories I've ever read in my whole life. We're going to be looking at a snapshot of his life today, and we're going to see that success is more God-centered and more God-dependent than we ever imagine. And this chapter that we're going to look at, Genesis 39, it doesn't tell us everything that God says about success, but it does, however, tell us things that are very different than what we usually think. So before we get to the Genesis 39, let me just kind of set this up. You know, early in the Bible, in the book of Genesis, God promised a man named Abraham that God would work greatly and bless his family and work through them to bless the whole world. Abraham's family was comprised of imperfect, broken people, you know, like a lot like your family, you know. But one of Abraham's great-grandchildren was named Joseph. He was next to the youngest of 12 brothers. Can you imagine having 12 brothers? Now just, can you imagine being the parent of 12 sons? Can't imagine it. Some think of Joseph in his early years as being kind of arrogant. He was undoubtedly despised by his brothers. He was nearly murdered by them. And he was sold by them into slavery. Again, I told you, not a perfect family. And yet God planned to work through Joseph to save his family from starvation during a future massive famine. And to bless and feed many other people and to become a great successful leader in one of the greatest countries of the time. This is where our story begins. It's a picture of a successful life as God understands success. So let's look at Genesis 39. And as we're reading through this, we're going to look at the whole chapter. I would like for you to be looking at, kind of looking out for, what are the things that it says that Joseph did? And what are the things that it says that others around Joseph did. And I think you're going to be surprised at what you find. Okay, Genesis 39, verse 1. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. 
And what had happened was his sons, his brothers had sold him into slavery and the people who bought him brought him to Egypt. And they brought him to Egypt and to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian had brought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. The Lord was with Joseph and look at this. He became a successful man. Now, if you have something to underline here, you might want to underline or emphasize that phrase. At the very beginning of this chapter, it's telling us that the Lord was with him and that he brought him to be a successful man. It's amazing. And he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. Again, you see this word succeed. It's saying that he's a success. So you would think, so he's just like going to crush it. Well, let's look at the rest of the chapter. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. Again, this idea of success. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. So he's a good-looking guy. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, lie with me. She's seducing him. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge he is not greater in the house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph day after day, so she's after him day after day, he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. But one day, when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the house were there in the house, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. She called to the men of her house and said to them, see, he has brought among us a Hebrew to laugh at us. He came in to me to lie with me, and I cried out with a loud voice. And as soon as he heard that I lifted up my voice and cried out, he left his garment beside me and fled and got out of the house. Then she laid up his garment by her until the master came home. And she told him the same story, really the same lie. The Hebrew servant whom you have brought among us came in to me to laugh at me. But as soon as I lifted up my voice and cried, he left his garment beside me and fled out of the house. As soon as his master heard the words that his wife spoke, this is the way your servant treated me, his anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison 
the place where the king's prisoners were confined, and he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And then get this last sentence. And whatever he did, the Lord made it succeed. This is a chapter that tells us at the beginning, throughout, and at the end, this is a story of a successful man. And yet, good grief, he's hated by his brothers, almost murdered by them. He's sold into slavery. He's brought into a foreign country. He's accused of rape and thrown into prison. And then at the very end, God tells us, and he was a success. Different kind of story. You know, when we talk about a picture of successful life, let's start with how we usually see it. How do we usually see successful life? I want to tell you a story about a friend of mine named Rick. Back when I was in my mid-20s, I was poor. Janet and I were poor. I drove a clunker car. We lived in a very modest home. And I got to know Rick. And Rick was kind of everything I wasn't. He was handsome. He had a great job. He was married. Well, something I we did share was he was married to a beautiful woman, as was I. He had these like perfect kids, perfect house, perfect car. Everything about him just evoked success. But he didn't know Jesus. And so I was convinced by God that I needed to share Jesus with him. But I was so intimidated because Rick just seemed to have everything. And I just felt like I was just barely scratching along. So one day Rick and I went to play racquetball and I promised to God, I will not leave Rick today before I share the gospel. So we meet to play racquetball. I say nothing about the gospel. We play racquetball. I say nothing about the gospel. We leave racquetball to go to his house to have a sandwich for lunch together. I say nothing about the gospel. We eat lunch. I say nothing about the gospel. As we're standing up for me to leave his house, I finally was so convicted. I've got to tell him. And I said, Rick, can I just tell you something? And I told him about Jesus and God's love for him. And he looked at me and he was polite. He was respectful. But he was like, well, thanks for letting me know. And I kind of slunk out of the house thinking, He's really such a success. And even like in sharing the gospel with him, I'm just not that great. I think we usually tend to define success as it's all about me. It's all up to me. It's all defined by me. And it's usually some version of, yeah, I thought of this to do, and I, I did this, and I got these people to do this. And I made this happen. And, you know, maybe if we're Christians and if we're really feeling it, you know, we might say, 
And I prayed and God helped me a little bit, you know. Or, well, maybe this person helped me a little bit. We have this selfish, self-absorbed, all-about-me notion of what success is. But you know that comes back to haunt you eventually. My dad was a great success. He was an only child. His parents didn't go to college. He went to college. He was brilliant. He ended up being an inventor. He was a serial entrepreneur. We lived in a really nice house. We were members of the local country club. We had a beach house. We had a house in the mountains. But in his 40s, my dad came down with cancer. And by 50, he died of cancer. And I looked at this man who the world would say was such a success. And I looked at how he lived the last six months of his life. And it was a man who was desperately trying to figure out success and somehow gain success in those last months because he realized, though he had accomplished a lot, Though he had a lot, his life was anything but a success. And it was actually sad to watch those last months of his life as he's scratching and grabbing, trying to figure out success. Now, if we move to how God understands it, I mean, you get this every Sunday in these sermons. It's completely different than how you'd think about it. That's just how the word is. You know, Rick Warren in his book, The Purpose Driven Life, Rick has this quote that says, it's not about you. The purpose of your life is far greater than your own personal fulfillment, your peace of mind, or even your happiness. It's far greater than your family, your career, or even your wildest dreams and ambitions. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. Okay, like I'm going to read that 76 times. If you want to know why you were placed on this planet, you must begin with God. You were born by his purpose and for his purpose. You know, as we read through the book of Genesis chapter 39, there were four interesting things that struck me as I was reading it. The first thing is God calls his life a success, but to us it looks like anything but a success. Like how is that? God keeps saying in this passage that he is a successful person, but it doesn't seem that way. How, how is that? So that's the first thing. The second thing is, you know, the passage just doesn't mention much that Joseph does. It, much, it mentions way more about what God and others did, and especially what they did for Joseph or to Joseph. So it has things like, he had been brought down to Egypt. He was bought by Potiphar. The Lord was with him. 
The Lord blessed Potiphar's house for Joseph's sake. He was seduced by Potiphar's wife. The Lord showed him steadfast love. The jailkeeper put Joseph in charge. We see all these things that other people were doing. But in the few things that it says about Joseph, it's nothing really extraordinary. He attended Potiphar, so he was a servant. He refused Potiphar's offer for sex, and that's very admirable, but it's exactly what he should have done. He did his work. He left his garment and fled. He did whatever needed to be done in prison. So this, it's like, how is this? That's just like what regular people do. How is this a picture of success? I think that little is said about his intentions, his passions, his gifting, his training, his personality, his relationships, his emotional needs, desires, his motivations. And it doesn't mean that these weren't important. It's just not what this chapter is about. This chapter is a contrast to probably any book you've ever read on success and many or most of the talks you've ever heard on success. Because this passage sees Joseph's success as very different than being all about Joseph, all up to Joseph, defined by Joseph. Now, the fourth thing that we observe is that Joseph's brothers, Potiphar, Potiphar's wife, the jailer, and Joseph, they all had roles and responsibilities to play in this drama of success that God, by his sovereign plan, was crafting. A very different description. In some ways, an unsettling description of, from God's perspective what does success look like? But I want you to get that this success, this successful man, it's God's success. God is working into the life of Joseph as Joseph chooses to believe in God and by God's grace obey him. It's something that God's working into Joseph's life. God is raising Joseph up as a means for providing for Abraham's family and blessing many people beyond Abraham's family. And it's interesting that God knew this and Joseph knew it. Later on in the Bible, in the book of Psalms, in Psalm 105, it's kind of chronicling God's commitment to the people of Abraham. And in 105 verse 16, this is how God explains what we've just read. He called down, he being God, called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food and he sent a man before them. And I think you're getting this eventually in the story. We started in 39. In about three more chapters, this famine happens. And Egypt becomes a center of food that's been saved up because of Joseph to where Egypt and those around them, and especially Abraham's people, 
will be able to eat. So he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised Joseph's feet with shackles. His neck was put in irons till what he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. The king sent and released him. The ruler of people set him free. He made him master of his household, ruled over his possessions, instructed his princes, and taught his elders. God sent a man before. That's the whole meaning of the success. It wasn't Joseph's success. It was God's faithfulness in providing for his covenant people, the people of Abraham, when the famine was going to come. And Joseph got this too. Later in the story, after his brothers come begging for food, and Joseph reveals to his brothers who he is, Here's how Joseph explains it in Genesis 45. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near, and they're really wondering if he's going to kill them right there and then. They came near, and he said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. And then look at this sentence, for God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and Lord of all of his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. God knew what he was doing. Joseph understood what he was doing. I think the meaning of success, like what all this means is from God's point of view, success comes from a life that is in sync with God's plan and purposes, and is dependent upon God's grace to do so. I want to say that one more time. From God's view, this is what success is. Success is living a life that's synced up with God, with his plan, with his purposes, and is dependent upon God and his grace to do so. You know, in Psalm 1, 1 through 3, some of you may have memorized this. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But what does he delight in? He delights in the law of the Lord, in God's word. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf doesn't wither. And all that he does, he prospers. This is a man whose life is in sync with God's word. This is a man whose life is in sync with God's plans and purposes. And because of that, he flourishes. He succeeds. Or Joshua 1.8, this book of the law 
shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Again, a picture of a life that's synced up with God's word, with God's plans, with God's purposes, and dependent upon God for the daily grace to follow. I think that if we're seeking or when we're seeking success from any other perspective than this, we're basically just choosing to not believe him. We don't believe him. And we're choosing a life that he'll not deem as a success. Again, this brings me to think of my father and what his life was like at the end. So in wrapping up, I just want to share a few thoughts with you about a vision of success and reward of success. A number of years ago, after I'd worked with students at Duke University for a number of years, I began to see that as they were growing on campus, as they were involved in campus ministries, as they were being mentored and all that, they seemed to grow really well. And then they would graduate and go out into their careers, and it seemed like slowly erosion was just taking them out. It was kind of like creeping materialism, you know, just a little bit more and a little bit better. But they would smear enough Jesus on top to where it kind of looked acceptable, but it was really nothing more than materialism. And God gave me this vision for them, but really for me. And the vision is this. By God's grace, to step forward as God's man or woman in my spheres of influence, to serve his purposes for his glory. And what I've come to believe, that if every day that's my vision, if every day that's what I'm praying towards, that's how I'm understanding my life, that's where I'm heading, I have good reason to believe that my life will be a success in God's eyes. I had a great phone call yesterday with our younger son. He's engaged and he and his wife are figuring out a lot of things about church and which church to be a part of and all that. And he was asking me some questions about that. And so finally I said, okay, well, this is what I want for you. I want, by God's grace, for you every day to step forward as God's man in your spheres of influence to serve his purposes for his glory. And if this church encourages you in that, then go to this church. If this church encourages you in this, go to this church. But what I want is this, by God's grace every day for you to step forward as God's man and your spheres of influence to serve his purposes for his glory. So what's the reward? 
If you live like this, if you strive towards this by his grace, what do you get out of it? Well, 52 years in to being God's man, this is what I would say. The primary reward of success is the deep, humble satisfaction that you've played your part with all your heart by his grace and for his glory and that God in his kindness has blessed it. The primary reward of success is the deep, humble satisfaction that you've played your part with all your heart by his grace and for his glory and that God in his kindness has blessed it. So my friend John, who have I brought with you, maybe you thought he was a success or maybe not, he lives in a nice house. Um, I don't even know what kind of car he drives. Uh, he owns a small business. He's gone through some really hard stuff, some hard things in his family, some hard things in other parts of his life. And sadly, a few years ago, very early, his wife died. And he's gone through the grief of losing his wife. But as I look at how John spends his days and his week, as I look at his involvement in our church, as I look at how he thinks about his life and how he lives his life, I'm like, that's a success. That's what God would say is a success. My buddy Rick, the successful guy that I finally figured out how to share the gospel with, a couple of years later, he's in our living room in our very small, modest house, bawling. He's lost his wonderful job. He's lost his wonderful wife and kids. And his life is crashing. <laughs> and the Lord Jesus met him there and saved him. And last time I heard, he had remarried to a godly woman. They were living in the western part of their state. And they were leaders in their church. And I just think that's like what God did in my life. He rescued me. This week, God wants to weave your life into the much bigger thing that he's doing in the world, accomplishing his purpose for his glory. He wants you to be a success. And what that means is that he wants your life to be in sync with his plans and purposes and dependent upon his grace. So, what do you do? This week, every day this week, pray through that vision that I just gave you by God's grace to step forward as God's man or woman in my spheres of influence to serve his purposes for his glory and ask God to give you the grace to live it out for his purpose, for his glory, for his honor. Let's pray.
God, only you can take people like us and make us into what you would have us be. God, only you can take people like us and eventually our lives become something that you would call success. God, please keep us from living our lives haunted by a self-centered understanding and quest for success. Help us to see your plan, your purpose, your call, and play the part you've given us with all our hearts by your grace and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Let's thank John for that message.